maybe this is getting like a little too metaphysical, but with like positive intention and like knowing the person that it's coming from and being connected with that person. My most important memories around food stem from like moments of sharing symbolic, deep, meaningful expressions of food as as symbol and as as gratitude and connection with one another. That's why food is so important to me and the shift that I made from like impacting people on like a political level that's left and right to like something that is impacts everyone. We all eat, we all feel better when we eat things that are better for us. Serendipity brought Ryan Watson and Henry Sweets together, unified by their vision of the power of urban farming to improve the health of local communities. They spent seven years nurturing and building North Brooklyn Farm on the banks of the East River in Brooklyn, nestled under the Williamsburg Bridge. This extraordinary oasis, a gathering place for the local community in the midst of the New York metropolis, recently closed to make space for real estate development. However, in this two-part episode, we discover that Ryan's vision remains clear on the role and need for urban farming. In part two, Ryan and I discuss his experience and learnings from running an urban farm and community gathering space for seven years, and the impact the farm had on the local residents and community in Williamsburg and beyond. We discuss his current rural farming adventure at Wild Russet Farms in the Catskills of New York State and how a new generation of millennial farmers could create a more sustainable future beyond industrial agriculture. In this honest and wide-ranging discussion, we also cover his views on education, technology, curiosity, risk-taking, failure, persistence, work ethic, values and farming in the future. I hope you enjoy the contemplative perspectives, social impact and community-minded spirit of Ryan Watson. You've got through the first year, the outdoor party group, Bobby Red, was it? Bobby Red. Bobby Red dropped out and left you holding the baby. And uh, you moved across the street to start a six-year run of an, an evolving community destination space that you called North Brooklyn Farm, on the pretty much on the banks of the East River. Can you talk about the impact that that space has had over the last six years on a community? And then maybe just talk more broadly about the role and future role of an importance of why you need these these green spaces in cities like New York. Yeah. It's, it's been seven years now. And then looking back on it and thinking about the impact has resonates in so many different ways. I mean, I think physically we watched like kids grow up learning to walk barefoot and then they're like their sibling. We watched like gent- like multiple children in the same family grow up in this space. And so to note, like even though it doesn't it's not there anymore, it its legacy will last beyond mm-hmm. its physical presence that we know for sure. It's changed all of us a lot. We've grown up a lot and learned a lot of things and been really, I think, our hearts warmed by like the love of compassion and community and 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 what that brought to our lives. And and what I think that's something that the impacts are probably most on an intangible basis. Like, sure, you can talk about like, I don't know, number of people come in here, number of events like weddings or important moments for people i mean 
how many people got engaged in front of the glass house or like you so know like, for people who haven't had the pleasure and i have to say i had the pleasure of experiencing it probably in the last two years mainly because of having a dog and discovering it as the perfect destination to take the dog but the if we just break down for those that maybe maybe even passed it when they were coming to new york and seeing something from the other side of the river the component parts of it you had a container which was your office and to a certain degree kitchen you had the the grounds that you where you grew multitude of vegetables open space for people to commune and hang out and meet and be entertained at night and you had barbecues is that everything covered or could you maybe just embellish on that and explain the the how you ended up with these different component parts it was an organic so to say process right it was to be able to have a, a space in which there was grass and a place for people to be able to like relax and be in touch with a more natural flow of things so feeling some semblance of wildness mm -hmm. so you'd see that in in the flower beds and and in elements of the pathway the way that it would sort of meander and and would lead you to different areas and different aspects of the farm. Our growing was also supposed to be a miniaturized version of organic farm rows for crop production. And then food as an integral ending point of the space. I mean, a lot of the things that we ended up doing came out of like our own barbecue, you know, it was like, what did we do for ourselves that made ourselves happy? Like that was, those are the things that made other people happy. So like having barbecues and then having a space in which people could dine in an emotionally, like naturally charged area was sort of, it's a collectivity of concept to be able to have kind of a holistic farm to table, field to fork experience. And you were holding... Sunday evening dinners for the community that could come along and pay pay a fee to be eating out by the river underneath the bridge with how many other guests? Oh, we started, it was like a max of 30 and then it went to 40. And then I think we were doing like 60 or 70, something like um, that. And it was a magical experience with the view too of the setting of the sky, like in the historic sort of setting of the domino location by the river. I think also being set back from the Williamsburg Bridge, being able to see traffic on the Williamsburg Bridge and be in a farm and be like on the river. Yeah, and a strange juxtaposition. Exactly, right? To see the Manhattan skyline and then like a, a row of tomatoes growing mm -hmm. in front of you. And this is what I find about agriculture or about farming and plants or nature. We are intrinsically driven by something in our genetics or whatever it is, wherever it comes from. I saw people do completely irrational things like shoveling dirt for eight to 12 hours in 95 degrees, like on a Saturday in July. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like I, it seemed irrational to me. Volunteering to connect them with the, the earth. People had profound experiences, I think. I, um, we did from being able to have this like, piece of land that you feel a part of that in new york city you can't get that really like you can't find like a little piece of ground that's like you feel part of your community and by participating in it you can make your community better that is awesome so what do you see the future role for i mean obviously north brooklyn farm is no longer you had the sign outside that everything is temporary but 
there is a future for community farming and that type of space inside cities. What's your vision for that? I mean, we always went on the, the presumption everything is temporary. And that for us was a was a helpful thing because if we had been paralyzed by the concept that we only had one season to prove our mission or to be able to make the impact that we had, we never would have done it. Who knows what's going to happen? And in that sense, that gave us the power to, and the confidence to be able to just move forward based upon like what we felt was right and what, what was the best thing to do. And keeping that in context for now that the physical presence of the farm is gone is also relevant and that the impact of it is also intangible like we were able to execute a project in a way that hadn't been done before and it worked we had a crazy idea and we like figured out i mean it was difficult to say the least it was beautiful and it was a magical experience but moving forward in terms of like what we can see can happen from here, we know that the experiences that people had there were profound. Uh, not Maybe not everybody's, but over the seven years, people have shared very beautiful memories with us. The galvanization of the community is one thing, but also just being able to buy your vegetables fresh from the ground rather than going a few blocks away, a Whole Foods or an urban superstore to find that your kale wilts within a couple of days of not hours but to have kale that will last and stay crispy for a week plus is why we need fresher food that's local and available absolutely and accessible and i think also is as a good microcosm or expression of food is food is important to our health and the energy that goes into the food that you're eating the input of what goes into the food you're eating whether it's organic or conventional or like whether it's grown sort of with Maybe this is getting like a little too metaphysical, but with like positive intention and like knowing the person that it's coming from yes. and being connected with that person. My most important memories around food stem from like moments of sharing symbolic, deep, meaningful expressions of food as mm. as symbol and as, as gratitude and connection with one another. That's why food was so important to me and the shift that I made from like impacting people on like a political level that's left and right to like something that is impacts everyone. We all eat. We all feel better when we eat things that are better for us. Obviously, there's a, a group of people and you're part of that is looking for what the future of the, the farm community farm will be. But you've also... Well, and I should I should say too that that's not over. Sometimes there's I think some help in pause and being able to take a step back to look at, evaluate, and and think about what the project was because it was immensely more successful than we ever interpreted, we ever thought in a million years it would be, and so being able to now think about how can we recreate the model that we have and expand upon it because. The circumstances of how you bring the farms are different. How you bring them about in different places are different around the world and each different municipality. But the needs that they fulfill for that population are the same. And so it's just a matter of kind of working your way. It's like, how do you pay for these things? How do they become intrinsically part of our society in which we value them? I'm hoping that that's something that's in progression and I see it in the next generation. It's 
one of the reasons why we like I've spent a lot of time focusing upon garden education because you can really tremendously impact a whole generation that will sort of lead to the next phase of choices and supporting with an economic system that supports young farmers and supports but I mean that was a, an important point for us that when we started North Brooklyn Farms there were not there was like a handful of people maybe a couple dozen that were making their livings from working in urban agriculture in mm -hmm. New York City and like it, it didn't we didn't want it to be a sacrifice you this should just be a job you should just be able to go get a job doing something that makes you happy and makes other people happy makes your community better and if you can do that and figure out a way in which like that's that was sort of me like the antidote to the kryptonite of nine to five was like go find a way like the biggest way of like disrupting that system is go find a way in which you you can do what you love and make everybody like make everything better make money doing it that way if it's a if you're doing a positive thing because they spend we spend so much time doing bullshit tasks or like not really affecting anything at the end of the day and it's like our lives are precious and we have not so much time life can seem like a long time but like now moving up here to be amongst the trees and like our lives are very short compared to the trees it's just a matter of perspective and in that perspective like I, and now given our current kind of environmental climate time is of the essence okay so there is hope for the future of sustainable living in the cities with people like yourself working on the future of where these community farms are going to go could you just tell us about what you're doing with your current farm with wild russet farm up here in the catskills yeah absolutely so one of the i mean uh how i ended up in the catskills is sort of one of those things that i couldn't really explain but i know that i think i found found a place that that makes me real happy we at wild russet farm are, are a mixed diversified vegetable farm practicing sustainable agriculture we're doing sort of, it's sort of like your grandma grand, <laughs> grandfather's kind of farm we do a little bit of everything so we're sort of interested in creating a, a integrated system in which all the the different elements of the farm are cooperating with one another to sort of create a, a closed loop to be able to be sustainable and sufficient we're also planting out a cider orchard and kind of have plans for for building a cidery we'll be launching a csa this year so some vegetables at market and then we have agritourism program and and education can you explain when you said the sustainable part of the farm that each part supports the other what that what you mean by that so i mean i think I, the best way that i could illustrate it would be an experience that i had this spring we we've added a few, my my uncle my grandfather's beekeepers and so as soon as i became stable and had a farm mm -hmm. space having beehives was something i was compelled to do mm -hmm. and having an apple orchard is they go hand in hand so standing underneath the crab apple tree in april when they are in full blossom and it is like a living organism the tree has so much life and pollinators that are interacting with one another and it's it's a magical conjunction of mm -hmm. relationships that with the bees in the tree with the bees yeah. and so without so the apple trees cannot be pollinated without the help of of, of a pollinator wow without an insect mm -hmm. i mean we we would be in big trouble if we did not have insect pollinators and that's the concern obviously that's with the the that, bee 
apocalypse. That's like a real thing. If we lost our pollinating insects, mm -hmm. which use of industrial agriculture it, with pesticides, I mean, it's not even just industrial agriculture, it's like society in general. Yeah. It happens mm -hmm. in the city, it happens everywhere. It's just sort of a ubiquitous thing. It's post-World War II. Go like back a hundred years, things were not, things were not kind of well, maybe a little bit more than that but you go back 200 years and and we're all farm brooklyn's all farmland <laughs> and there are no bio biochemical pesticides so yeah with so being able to to experience the sort of the, that interconnectivity really understanding kind of some of these deeper cycles that happen in nature and and then this year we've added sheep as well that are grazing underneath the apple trees keeping the grounds kept so instead of having to mow mm -hmm. with fossil fuels yeah. then we can have sheep that are fertilizing the ground and also just keeping it's all just working together as part mm -hmm. of the cycle <laughs> i've always i mean i've been trying to buy organic as much as possible for the last few years a lot of people though think that are they really buying organic when they buy organic i mean i've heard you talk before about Roundup and the industrial fertilizers and the negative impact that has on our environment, our bodies, and overall the world. Could you give people that maybe don't understand the the nature of organic what that really requires? Absolutely. I and mean, can you trust these labels? It's imp it's there's a healthy skepticism to to not just solely rely upon labels. So that I believe is is on point. For that that being said, if, if you have produce that's labeled organic unless you have some reason to to suspect that it's not organic i would it would tend to to follow that label but what i think is probably more important and and also in contextualizing this conversation about conventional versus organic like you're not just buying a product you're supporting a system with your choice organic certification and organic standards do allow for usage of certain types of of pesticides at, at lower levels generally like sulfur in particular mm -hmm. so that you would have like a much lower rate that would be applied now that being said comparatively the conventional is going to have a substantially a lot more and we don't live in a perfect world if we lived in a perfect world I'd say buy all your produce from farmers like me, from young farmers, from people who family farms that have been in generations for a long time, from, from things that taste good and like have a local experience. Mm -hmm. The farmer's market is like one of my favorite places in the world, no matter where it is in the world. The marketplace yeah. is this direct exchange about people and food and being able to trust the person that you are are growing your food from i mean i think that's really at the yeah. heart of what your question is yep. mm -hmm. is like how do you trust and like how do you trust a big large industrial farming operation it's hard it's you can't look them in the eyes and but that's and, why i think increasingly we interviewed joshua spodick who's been packaging free for the last three years and pretty much packaging free and he invites people around to taste his what he calls his famous packaging free <laughs> vegetable stew and we've been going trying to go pretty much packaging free and buying just loose and obviously csas these organizations that bring in on bulk you can order from the farms like yourself come into the city drop them off at union square or farmers markets is probably the way forward that we're going to have to and that's the way that individuals and you can actually do something to buy probably in the long term food at a more economical make it more affordable and make it more sustainable. 
Well, we need a system that supports it. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be because it it works in other parts of the world. If the society finds value in something being organic or if, whatever, it doesn't even matter what it is. If society deems it to be important, if we des if we deem eating healthy and having access to affordable vegetables as important as we do to like tax breaks and tax shelters for 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 wealthy or or even just like the military industrial complex as soon as those things are parallel then you can affect some change that's going to take a generational shift i believe and maybe not even that but i think it can be more accessible if, if we supported more localized farming if there were policies in which it was important to support local food and to, it, there's opportunity in that we're a generation of or a, a country of aging farmers that are approaching 60 or above on average and are less and less inclined towards farming and that's gonna be a challenge for us and it's going to lead to more concentration of industrial agriculture and if we don't as a society support an alternative to that future then that's the future that we're going to have fortunately i think that there are a number of young people who are compelled towards farming as an environmental call and as part of the response to what our generation is seeing is yeah. as like some some pivotal pivotal moments Far sustainable farming as as some part playing some role in in doing something positive well hopefully you're a beacon for inspiration for another generation coming through to follow your lead in what you're actually doing so i think it's amazing where does curiosity play a role in the work that you do or has contributed to the work that you do I think curiosity is kind of sort of integral to the process of discovering a pathway for yourself. Sometimes it gets me into trouble, I think, because I'm just constantly like I'll find new wormholes to dis disappear down it's the, in the information age. There's access, instantaneous access. It's probably your wife keeps you straight on that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, the... The necessities of the farm season definitely make that a thing that only happens in the wintertime. So. <laughs> There's a Japanese term we've used before called um, ikagi. Uh, it's the intersection of what you're good at and what you love. Is this you, Ryan? I would say so. I mean, I think on depends on which day you ask me of how good of a farmer I am at this point. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think so. I think... At least definitely things that make me happy and we seem to be able to grow some plants. So. Okay. There's a quote, setbacks, on setbacks. It's not the circumstances that define you, it's your response. What's your response been to a set of circumstances that have been pivotal in your life? I think how you respond to adversity is is what defines you. Not defines your identity, but in terms of, is it's a crucially important aspect of how one lives their lives because things are bound to happen that are difficult and painful i lost my father when i was young and that profoundly shaped my view of the rest of my life because losing somebody i mean that's an inevitability in life and it feels as if like a lot of things in life is maintaining the right perspective and focus and that that can 
have a profound impact on the direction and the level of happiness and and the effectiveness of one's life in terms of whatever their mission was, what they decide as the purpose of life. Okay. If you were given the keys to the White House, what um, would you do to change the education system that would improve the future opportunities for youth? Ooh. Eliminate testing. Huh? Really? I mean... I don't know, it, creating some sort of more and more flexibility with teachers to be able to. So I spent a lot of time in New York City schools. One of the sort of like offshoots of Northbrook and Farms is that we did some work with with Slow Food and New York City and as a as a venue for for one of the events for them. And and I began working with their education wing and working with teachers and trying to bring about change in schools by by giving children experiences in the garden. Cause that like, as a kid, I didn't want to take a test. I wasn't good at school. I was told that I, I developed an identity as a bad student and that I was not smart. Carried through most of my adolescence. Fortunately, at a certain point, I realized that I was smart, but it just, why well, I wasn't good at school. So like that framework was destructive for me and being able to see like the, the challenges that teachers have in terms of working with with slow food the teachers are they have a curriculum they have to follow that's very specific doesn't allow for flexibility i think maybe maybe instead of like get rid of tests it's like offer more flexibility to be able to give more broader experiences it's just the school system has to be funded i mean even when i was a kid like there was jam and music and electives and like this no. stuff is like getting cut out. I mean, the things that we used and this is like as a society, there's a certain point at which we have to be like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. This is we're we're creating future problems by eliminating some of these things or just like limiting the potential of our of our nation. It's it's an interesting period of in American history to be a part of and seeing like sort of downshifting of position who knows what what will come but uh okay <laughs> it's interesting pamela smith who's a professor at columbia we interviewed recently and she grew up in sierra nevada in the 60s and said all her schooling was about creativity no tests i mean and i think come. it's it's important to encourage kids to absorb knowledge in the way that relates to them and also i think that that's flexibility in the direction in which we direct our youth was like go to college go to get a nine-to-five job like now it's like well, we need plumbers and like we need like and more right, farmers and more farmers or yeah. like I, no one ever told me that i could be a farmer growing up that was like it was a joke growing mm -hmm. up in los angeles like that even amongst kind of like as my uncle used to say munchy crunchy hippie granola types no one ever said be an organic farmer you'll save the planet and live a happy life and mm -hmm. eat good food like no one told me that maybe i would have gotten i would have gotten the hang of it earlier but what, so what would your advice be to someone that wants to live a more sustainable life and to be healthier from your perspective what are the things people could start to do easy steps that would have a positive impact on the direction we're going i mean if you can try and grow something yourself yeah. just even like that was sort of what happened for me it was like <clears throat> well, we'll grow basil in the window and then like oh a couple of tomato plants and a pepper and and get closer to like local agriculture visit your farmer's market 
be more connect. I would just say sort of like be more conscious about the food that you eat and where it comes from and to be able to do sort of incremental change. Don't eat meat a couple times less. Be more conscious about where your meat comes from if you're eating meat. Like try and buy things organically, buy things local, depending on where you are. Be more conservative about your water usage and and those sorts of things. I mean, I think that integrating it into part of our lifestyle and making it not such a such a big thing. Don't make it such a big thing. And if people want to follow you on social, where would they find you? We are at Wild Russet, R-U-S-S-E-T Farm. Mm-hmm. And I'm NY Farmer Rye. NY Farmer underscore Rye on Instagram. I try and limit my intake of social media these days. Mm-hmm. I think trying to to balance balance is always helpful. Quite right. <laughs> what can we learn from the past that will help us navigate the future? Oh, I think everything. But that's maybe just my inner historian uh, talking. I mean, I think the past and the and the present. There's a, a saying of you can see the future by looking deeply into the present. That's great. Yeah, and and by by looking into the past, you're able to understand the dynamics in which we've gotten to this point in mm-hmm. the present. And I think I think we have gotten a little bit lost mm. as a species in the developments that we've achieved and we've made great developments in lifestyle and technology and information and but i think that we haven't they're new and we haven't quite figured out what's not enough and what's too much and i think that by looking back at the things that people may have done better in the past that we can integrate those things and build upon ourselves in the future like lessons that can make things better okay and the final question i have was what's your perspective on risk taking embracing uncertainty and fear of failure because you did take fairly big bold leap big risk big reward i guess i don't know like like reasoned rational risk and well thought out making risky decisions in and of themselves is not something i would recommend but carefully thinking about something that then is a risk but has sort of contingency plans built into it and has various options along the way allows you to adjust to the scenario mm-hmm. whatever it would be but i think without without taking if we're always in our comfort zone sometimes we we don't grow in the way that we should um want to go to the quick fire questions what principles do you stand by compassion love and understanding be be good to one another great answers what hard choices have you had to make that might be tough at the time but have turned out to be the right decision instances in my life in which i left a tried and true professional track i would say those and best decisions best decisions of my life okay (laughs) taking taking the leap i would say all right where do you go to discover new ideas or when you need space to think? The woods. And you're lucky. Right or now. the ocean, depending on... Well, uh, we know where it is right now. It's, you have yeah. no, no ocean near you here. Exactly. But. It depends on where... Yeah. The coast, ocean would be preferable, but yeah. ocean ocean farms part of the part of the long-term part of the plan. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. We asked this question recently. What is the one big problem worth solving? Plastic. Okay. Well, we all know that. We don't need to embellish on that. So, yeah, that's clear. If you could return to one night, one day in history, where, when, 
with who to do what to see what the uh the enlightenment of the buddha ah uh, we've not heard that one before. would be an interesting place and time to be okay is there a question that no one asks you that you wish they would i think it would sort of be something about what you see as your best self what would be like the most optimistic brightest vision of the future that you could imagine and I think it's like a muscle that we that we don't use well enough of our brains that we're not encouraged to dream big enough. At least I found that self with my own self. Like when I think back about what my wildest dreams for the success of North Brooklyn Farms would have been, seven years is beyond. It's several years beyond what my initial conceptualization yeah. was. So what would that what would that future self be oh i think it would be i mean it would be living in a world of peace and understanding in which these things are not items we struggle with anymore it's lofty i don't know i think but i don't know i think crazier things have happened mm -hmm. over the yeah. course of human history can we continue to progress that's good. Well, you're certainly pushing it, us in the right direction, nudging us. Just, we just try and put a little piece in. How do you keep up with technology? And that can be specific to your day-to-day -day, or it could be farming in any way. Oh, I have a mixed relationship with technology because I think to some degree I function better when I sort of go back, when I look backwards at certain mm -hmm. traditional methodologies. But then the same way everyone else does social media and I think particularly like developing a sense of community amongst young farmers, that's a powerful thing mm -hmm. because the work is so isolating and being able to st Instagram has been a helpful sharing of even just for like on a visual basis, seeing how somebody a lot of farming is about solving problems that didn't exist in the morning that exist in the afternoon or over the course of a season and adaptability and being able to see what other people are doing to solve that problem different approaches and i think yeah instagram has been helpful for that good one <laughs> who's made you reevaluate yourself oh i think lots of people but definitely my wife i think when you sort of set up shop as a partnership together and and bounce your ideas of an ideal like idealized version of something off of somebody else and you can be able to share like to be able to share those those moments and and kind of like the the deeper meanings and in, in, in what we're trying to achieve in the time that we have she's 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 been good good with that <laughs> sounds good <laughs> What would your advice be to someone who's maybe graduating that study, wanting to leave a job that they didn't believe was their future and had a goal, a grand ambition or an idea of something they want to do, but was being told it's impossible? Believe in yourself and follow your instincts. I think that we're not encouraged, we're encouraged a lot in society to doubt oneself and to, to, not we're not given the parameters through which we should especially in the united states that it might be different with some other cultures but i think particularly in in my experience that sort of falling in line and like 
having to follow a path that's already been prearranged for you mm. in some certain sense. I think that people have this potential selves that they sometimes are able to actualize in their lives and they sometimes are not. And if we think down deeply about like who we are and we see something something different, we're optimistic. That's interesting. So intuition, follow it. Yeah. Okay. And just like keep keep working at it. If the thing that you're if the thing that you're doing is right intention and you are trying to do something that's gonna bring about some positive change, I think that anything is possible. And it goes back also to your work ethic. Uh, baseball. Baseball. Baseball, yeah. yeah. No, but that's I think it, these are sort of the things. It's like if you have clarity of vision and yeah. clarity of action of what you're trying to do you're able to develop this concept and then you're able to like develop the methodology that brings about action to that concept it's only a matter of time like i learned transitioning from focusing more on annual vegetables to orchards that take years and sometimes decades to really come into their blossom become the timeline is different and patience and, and understanding of that, that it would be on, it would be unrealistic for me to plant a tree that takes 10 years to fruit and to expect that it's going to be fruiting in year five to nine. But if we have the right expectations and we just keep at it, chipping away and believe that we can do stuff, then we can do things. And even if you don't get to the final goal that you're setting to, you're making a path along the way. And that's, best we can do okay what's your go-to karaoke song i don't know i can't uh, uh, yeah it's okay i always we have i always have tr- that one. i always have trouble with karaoke best recent <laughs> netflix or amazon series or any other series that you think people should watch i just watched an interesting like short bbc three-part series great thinkers of the ancient world or something it was huh? like socrates uh confucius and buddha and interesting on like a biographical standpoint to think that of people in pivotal points in history that affect change significantly for the world. I'll put that one in the show notes and <laughs> look it up on BBC iPlayer. <laughs> what book would you like us to offer three listeners that submit the best comments in the comments section? That's a good question. Because it's wintertime and I'm like all about productivity exercises in the wintertime. Oh yeah, I have two. No, now I have two. Getting things done by oh, David GTD. Allen. Yeah, 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 I'm a big fan of that book. I guess depending on what your aim is, right? And then the other book that I really love is The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. Okay, so I think our friend Ananita Mogadan would uh, definitely be with you on that one. Yeah, that's she's uh, she's, uh, she's uh, being taught by the Dalai Lama. Oh, uh, that's practice. that's definitely a tick box on yeah. the, on the life life check. And final question. Who should we interview next? And I should contextualize this because what we, someone said the other day, Twitter, Jack Dorsey, but it's someone in your network that you think we should interview and then we ask you to connect us. I think the person probably comes most immediately to mind would be Andrew Carter of uh, Smallholt. He's the mushroom farm that came up out of North, like, that, oh, that the guy that did the, from um, the containers. 
So they started as a shipping, a mushroom <clears throat> yeah. growing shipping container mm -hmm. operation and have now become New York City's first organic certified farm. Their mushroom farms are in Whole Foods and it's a really interesting blend of technology and, but also mushrooms and there's a whole other tangent, yeah. but are, I think, a powerful food source and a, a very interesting um, expression of natural phenomena that we have yet to really fully begin to comprehend. And well, we'll probably just leave it. He would that. be fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to interview him. Yeah, we'll follow up with you on that. On that one. Okay, well, I just wrap up and thank you very much for the time, for inviting us out here. And to say first of all thank you for creating north brooklyn farm from a personal perspective because it's been an amazing experience to acknowledge you for the, the bold risk taking that you've done in your life to have created that experience for individuals like me and for the community in in new york and the boldness to start to lead from the front in terms of what the future of community and urban and even non-urban agriculture is because we need to sort of change the way we think about food and think about how we live sustainable lives. And acknowledge you for your compassion and your vision to do what you're doing. And we'll look forward to follow your story. Yeah, thank you so much and, and for sharing what the farm meant to you mm. and to your family. And, mm. and that's kind of puts it all into perspective for us we should, so. and, and we should also give a shout out to the hard-working folk at the farm there oh was, yeah um so there's henry henry sweets emma gonzalez kenny monroe and so many so many others uh -huh. we were a very very large family a collective that changed each other's lives forever no That's doubt great if you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player to listen and subscribe. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina McKaylee and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative, and seek out serendipity. See you next time. <laughs>